This Student Ministry 127 podcast is a sermon preached by Brother Kerry Schmidt at the 2012 West Coast Baptist Youth Conference. Brother Schmidt serves as an associate pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church, where he has overseen the student ministries for over 20 years. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 11. Now, no chastening. We're going to talk a lot about that word chastening. But in your mind right now, I want you to remember this. We'll just define it right now before we read further in God's Word. Chastening is correction. It is corrective action that grows me. It is nurturing. It is positive. It may not be comfortable. A lot of times we, we, we kind of make synonymous chastening and punishment in our minds. But I want you to understand something, teenagers. Chastening and punishment are very different things. Punishment is punitive. It's a penalty. It's a payment for doing something wrong. So you shoot somebody, you go to jail, that's your punishment. There's nothing restorative about punishment. There's nothing that changes you. There's nothing that grows you about punishment. When, when we come to the Word of God and we read about chastening, this is what God does in our lives that is a positive thing. It's a growing thing. It's a helpful thing. Can I make a bold statement and help you understand something? God doesn't punish you if you're saved. God punished Jesus for you. Now, just stay, stay with me. If he punishes you, that means there's some penalty that you still have to pay for your sin which means Jesus didn't pay all of your sin on the cross. There's nothing of punishment in God's dealing with us in chastening. There is correction. There is growth. There is transformation. In other words, I want you to think of it this way. God's word chastening that we're going to read in this passage is one of the ways that God takes anything painful in our lives and uses it to grow us, to improve us, to strengthen us, to make us more rooted. When I, when I read, when we read the word chastening in the Bible, I want you to think potential. I want you to think possibility. If it's just pain, then it really doesn't have any good but maybe just to suffer and endure it. But in God's economy, in God's word, every discomfort in life for God's child has potential. Every hardship, every trial, everything you've ever had to bear or ever gone through that wasn't your responsibility or even that that which was, I'm talking about the decisions of other people that came upon you. I'm talking about sickness or illness or accident or trial or tragedy. Any hardship in life, when viewed through the lens of God's Word, always has potential and possibility. And to some degree, that's what chastening is. For instance, a year ago, I was sick. I had cancer. Now, if you said to me, did God give you cancer because you were sinning and he was punishing you? The answer is no. But did God want to use my cancer to grow me and to change me and to take me into into a new place spiritually? Yes, he did. So was there a measure of chastening? Was there a measure of growth and positive possibilities to my cancer? Yes, there was. So with that context, let's keep reading. Now, no, uh, if any of you endure chastening, or now no chastening, verse 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be what? Joyous. So in other words, God's saying, you know, 
hard times aren't happy, aren't joyful. They don't seem to be joyful. When you're being chastened or grown in a way that's hurt, that hurts or that feels tough, that's not joyous or doesn't seem to be joyous. But, what's the next word? Seems to be joyous, but grievous. In other words, these are hard times. These are times we wouldn't choose or ask for. Seems to be joyous, but, uh, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it what? It yieldeth. It grows something. If I let it, it's going to grow something. It yieldeth the what? Peaceable fruit of righteousness. So God says, in all of your pain, and all of your trial, I've got fruit in mind. I've got something that's going to grow in you and come out of you unto them which are exercised thereby. Verse 12, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. In other words, verse 12, there's a choice. Anytime we go through pain or trial or tragedy, God says, you have a choice. He says, I want you to lift up your hands. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want, uh, I want you to be strengthened, your feeble knees. Verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet. I want you to have direction. I want you to determine which way you're going to walk through this trial, through this hardship. Make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame, that which is hurt, that which has been wounded in the trial... That pain that has come upon you in the trial, lest that which is lame be what? Turned out of the way. In other words, that which has been wounded be completely destroyed or completely devastated. That which has been kind of limping suddenly is completely incapacitated. God says if you respond the wrong way to your pain or to your trial, that which is lame, that which hurts you, is going to destroy you. Instead of having the peaceable fruit, It's going to destroy you. Let's keep reading. But, read the next phrase with me. Let it rather be. Say that again. Let it rather be. Say the whole phrase with me. Go. Let it rather be. You know what that's saying? God says, hey, listen. In your times of hardship, I want fruit. I want to grow you. I want to strengthen you. I want to stabilize you. I want to lead you to a new level spiritually. I want this to be a good outcome, a great potential in your life, and that which is hurt or wounded in you, I don't want it to be worse, I want it to be healed. We're seeing two possible outcomes of trials. Look at the verse 14, follow peace with all men. That's forgiveness, that's making things right in your relationships. Someone's hurt you, you go make things, you forgive them, even if they they don't apologize. Follow peace with all men. And holiness, that's choosing to live a right life. That's rejecting sin and rejecting peer pressure and rejecting the bad stuff that would make your wound worse. Holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15, and this is the key. Looking, what's the next word? Diligently. Look at the verse now, verse 15. Looking what? Looking diligently. So this is, this is intentional. This takes intentionality. This takes focus. This takes a decision. I have got to do this. I got to be diligent about this. This is almost like if you got your arm cut off and you were diligently grabbing it, throwing it into a cooler and running to the ER so they could sew it back on. You'd be pretty diligent about that. You'd be pretty tenacious about that. So God says, in your chastening, in your trial or hardship, I want you to be diligent about this, looking diligently lest 
Any man, what's the next word? Fail. That word means miss or be distracted from or detour or miss the turn off. Or, in other words, you, you, you take a different path. If any man fail of the what? Three words. Grace of God. Key. Lest any root of what? Bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, we heard this last night, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Father, bless this time. Help us to learn from this passage something that we'll never forget. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a question for you as you're seated. What is the hardest thing you're facing right now? At the top of your outline in your book, I want you to just write it down. And if it's too embarrassing, you don't want anybody to know it, just think about it. But I want everybody in the room to think about what's the most difficult hardship you're facing in your life right now. Question number two. I want you to think about this. What's the hardest thing you have ever faced in your whole life? I want to just play it in your mind. Go back to a time in your life when you thought it was all coming to an end, when, you, when life suddenly became devastating. And I know who I'm talking to this morning. I'm talking to a lot of teenagers who have come to this conference with a lot of trials and a lot of burdens. I took some time to write some of them down on some signs, and I'm going to have some guys come up here and help me. And we're going to talk through for a minute the pain. This is point number one if you're taking notes in your outline, and that is the pain. The pain that we face in the pathway of life. So it, in God's economy, it all, to some degree, comes out to be chastening, corrective, growth, possibility-oriented. If you're going through a hardship, in God's eyes, that hardship has possibilities. He's trying to do something good in your life, even though there are circumstances you can't control and people making decisions you can't understand. And hardship that seems like it's going to wreck your life forever and life as you know it is over. I've talked to so many teenagers who've had hardships and trials, from divorce and separation to step-parent problems to, to anger issues to abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. I'm talking to teenagers all across this room that have had those kinds of trials in your life. There's a young lady on our staff and that works here around the church and volunteers and serves the Lord. She grew up part, part of the time in our youth group. She was shot by her stepfather. She went to visit her, her, her uh, real mother and was on her way back into town. Her stepfather got angry at her stepmother, pulled the car over, got out, grabbed a gun, shot her mom and shot her in the head. Her name is Karen, and you might even run into her this, uh, this week. Well, she's, she's a great young lady. I was talking to her in the hallway just this past week. Uh, God spared her life, but what a horrible, horrible uh, trial to have come through. There's another young lady I was thinking about as I was preparing this message on our school staff named Jessica Downey, and some of you know Jessica's story. She grew up in our youth group, and uh, she was in college here, and she was pulling out onto 40th Street probably 15 years ago or so, and she turned, and a truck hit the side of her car, and forever changed her life. She, she was in a terrible, terrible accident and for many weeks hung in the balance between life and death in a coma and we prayed and prayed and God spared her life through all that and brought her through it. I've talked to teenagers that have been raped and, 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 and molested and abused and beat up and, and, and neglected and rejected and outcast and I don't have any friends and I lost my best friend, I lost my girlfriend, I lost my boyfriend. I mean all kinds of trials are represented in this room. Uh, I, I wrote some of them down, and I want some guys, come up uh, on the end, tell me your name again. Ryan, come up here for a minute. 
And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have these guys just, Ryan, you stand right here. I'm going to have these guys hold some signs. And these, are, these stories are not true of these people. I'm just going to randomly pull some guys up here. But Ryan, let's say in, in, this, in his case, his parents got divorced. That's a hardship that no teenager should ever have to deal with, to be honest with, with you. And, and you feel like it's the end of life, it's the end of the world, and, what, and my family's falling apart. And there's a lot of you that have dealt with that. Uh, Connor, come on up here, Connor. You, you come up here and stand next to Ryan. And this one just says, my dad left. So in this case, uh, Connor, you stand right here. In this case, here, step, step over just right here. Hold that sign up high. In this case, this young man had to deal with a father that came home one day and said, it's not working out. See ya. I'm leaving. And all of a sudden, abandonment. Now he's stuck with mom, and they're stuck to figure out how to make life work and how to, how to pay the bills and how to buy food and how to go, uh, go through life. And now he's got to live two places. Dad lives there. Mom lives here. He's got to put up with two different lifestyles. And it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a hardship. And none of the, neither of these things are things that either of these boys would have chosen or that you would choose. These are things beyond your control. These are the decisions of other people. Uh, let's see here. What's your name? Come on up here, Ben. And uh, let's see here. This one says, someone I love died. Now, I know I, I, there's probably dozens of teenagers in this room that have lost a parent or a sibling or, an, or someone close to you. Cancer. Uh, a car accident, some other tragedy, some other illness, some other accident that you've lost. There's, there's many teenagers in our youth group that when they were three or when they were six or when they were 12 or when they were 16, someone that was close to them went to heaven or passed away. And that's a trial that teenagers deal with. Uh, Shannon, come up here. Clark, come up here. Uh, car accident. I'm sure there's some teenagers that have in this room that have been in a car accident or someone you love was in a car accident or some terrible thing happened and uh, you lost some capacity or you lost some ability or your, your life was somehow forever changed or someone you know, their life was forever changed. Uh, what's your name? Dawson, come on up here. Uh, let's, let's give Dawson a sign that says someone abused me. And just step right over here, Dawson, and hold that sign up. Someone abused me, okay? That could be someone, uh, someone at school picked on him. Could be his parents cursing him out. I have teenagers all the time that come to me and say, Brother Smith, when my mom gets mad, she curses at me. My dad calls me filthy names. I don't know how, I don't know how to uh, answer that question a lot of times. I mean, these are tough things in life. These are painful things. No one would want these things, but these things are real. These are realities in life. Yeah, Curtis, come on up here. Anger in my family. Step right over here on this side. So this young man has, has anger issues in his family. Maybe every time he doesn't clean his room or leaves his laundry out or doesn't do something right, his dad comes in and flies off the handle and calls him dirty names and, and yells and screams. And, and maybe, maybe his family is completely made up of contention. Every time he's at home, everybody's fighting all the time to the point that he just can't wait to grow up and get out of the house. And that's one of the hardships he's got to deal with. Uh, let's see. Come on up here. This one is alcohol and drugs in my family. Step over here. All right. Messer Schmidt has alcohol and drugs in his family. And uh, that's a difficult thing. My mom grew up with an alcoholic father, and she never knew whether he was sober or not. Some of you, the scene you saw played out here last night with a drunk father coming in and, and uh, abusing, and in this case, murdering his family. Some of you have had similar situations. You never know whether that person that you're supposed to love and supposed to be loved by, that person that's supposed to care for you, you never know if they're sober or how they're going to be and how they're going to be angry or they're going to come down on you. I remember a couple times with my grandfather not knowing if he was going to punch me or hug me. 
not knowing, was he in his right mind? What's going on here? And some of you have been subjected to alcohol and drug abuse in your family or amongst people that are supposed to be loving you. Oh, let's see here. I need another teenager right here. Come on up here. Devastating breakup. Now, we laugh about that, I know. Step over here. Step over here. You don't have a girlfriend, do you? Okay, good. All right. Devastating breakup. Now, I hope you're not too heavy into a relationship. I hope you're waiting for college for that. That's what I advise. It, they really don't have anywhere to go when you're a teenager. Otherwise, either you get physical or you get frustrated, one of the two. Uh, the relationship can't go anywhere, so it's just wise to slow it down and be careful. But in this case, this young man took it too far. The, the relationship got emotionally dependent, and eventually it melted down, and uh, the girl walked off because there's somebody else. And, uh, and so she said, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. That's devastating. When it happens, that's hard. That is very difficult for a teenager to deal with. Um, Keenan, come on up here. I'm going to borrow you for a minute. Let's say Keenan's got step-parent issues, step-parent problems. By the way, a lot of you that have step-parent problems, you'd have real parent problems too. It's just that having a step-parent gives you a card to play, a little trick up your sleeve. Well, I wouldn't be this way if I had a real parent. But sometimes step-parent problems are real, legitimate issues of life that you've got to deal with, and they're hard, and they're trials. And it's easy to go, man, I wish my parents had just stayed together. I wouldn't have this problem or this trial if, this, uh, if my parents hadn't gotten a divorce. All right, right there on the end in the black, what's your name? Chris, come on up here and hold a sign for me. Here we go. Chris, you got struggles at school. All right, stand over here on this end by the piano and hold that sign up. So you're having a hard time with a class. You're having a hard time with a teacher that's picking on you. Someone was unfair to you. You got some kids picking on you. You got a class that you're really struggling with and your parents are on your case about. Either way, it's a hardship. It's a trial and, and some difficult things are going on. All right, what's your name? Luke, come on up here. Luke has no friends, okay? Luke, sorry, Luke. You're just the loser of the whole group up here. Uh, no, no, you're not a loser. I'm just kidding. But, and honestly, I talked to teenagers before. They say, Brother Schmidt, I just don't have any friends. A lot of times there's a reason. The Bible says that for a man to have friends, he has to show himself friendly. If you've got to go slip in the back and never talk to anybody, you're probably not going to have any friends. But every now and then I talk to a teenager that the reason they have no friends is because of some other hardship. It's not that they don't have a heart to be friendly. It's maybe that the rest of the group kind of ganged up against them and rejected them. It may be because they've taken a stand against peer pressure and they, they haven't been accepted by the group. Whatever the case, in this, in this world, we come into trials where we feel alone. We feel like everybody that was our friend has rejected us and it leaves us feeling like, uh, like life stinks. And I need one more guy. Uh, let's see here. What's your name? Quint Quincy? Quentin. Quentin. Come on up here, Quentin. Stand over here next to Keenan. Uh, and I'm just going to put here disabling illness. I'll tell you, when I, when I was sick with cancer, I met a lot of people that had cancer. I met kids that had cancer. I met teenagers that had cancer. I met college students that had cancer. And it's real. It's, it's real. I've, I've, I've talked to teenagers before that had brain tumors and different issues and heart issues and, and, uh, and physical problems. So these are just, in my preparation of this message, these are just the, the, the first maybe 10 or 12, I don't know how many signs are up here, things that came to my mind of teenagers and the trials that they faced. My dad left, someone I loved died, anger in my family, alcohol and drugs, struggles at school, no friends, my parents divorced, car accident, someone abused me, devastating breakups, step-parent problems, disabling illness. You could fill in the blanks with your trial and your hardship. But here, listen, life is painful. Life has hardship. Life has trials. 
You cannot control these circumstances. If these things have happened to you, usually they're completely out of your control. Now, a lot of times chastening, Brother Getch talked last night about choosing the cup of the world or the cup of righteousness. In, in his message last night, we were talking about your choice of sin or righteousness, your choice to surrender to God or surrender to pleasure. In that, you have a choice. In these things, you don't. I didn't have a choice of whether or not I wanted cancer. I didn't have a choice of whether or not I wanted to enter into that trial. God didn't come to me and say, okay, you can have, you know, what's behind curtain A or curtain B. Curtain A is a two-week vacation to Hawaii with your wife. Curtain B is uh, nine months of cancer treatment. God didn't give me the option. Now, in my case, cancer really wasn't anybody else's fault either. Some of these things are other people's fault. In other words, if you've had parents that have broken up, if you're growing up with a step-parent or divorce situation or your dad left or your mom left, those are decisions other people made that came upon you. You don't control them. A lot of times our trials, nobody really controls. I mean, a car accident, some disabling illness, some other difficulty that comes upon us may not be anybody's choice. It may just be God's sovereignty allowing something to happen in my life. Now, Listen very carefully, and let's move on to point number two, and that is the paths. If you're taking notes, the paths. Verse, or Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to look with me at a verse we read a minute ago, verse 15. Verses 7 through 14 kind of portray pain and trouble and chastening and the fact that God wants to do something good in it. Verse 15 kind of breaks it down to two paths. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the what? The what? Fail of the grace of God, lest any root of what? Bitterness. So here it is. You have two choices when these things come upon you. You can take the path of grace, or you can take the path of bitterness. In every one of these teenagers' lives, there has essentially been a fork in the road when this trial came upon them. One path led to bitterness and one path led to grace. I I don't know if all of you can see these signs, but I want you to look at them. We're at a fork in the road now. Every time you have a trial in your life or a hardship, every time something painful comes upon you, whether it's by your own sin, whether it's by somebody else's sin, or whether it's by circumstances that nobody had control over, like a sickness, you're now at a fork in the road and you're going to make a decision. You're going to make a choice which way to travel. There's no way to avoid this choice. Every single person in this room, when you enter into a trial, you make a decision to either take the path of grace or to take the path of bitterness. And I want to talk to you about these paths for a minute because the Bible is very clear about what happens when we choose these paths. I want you to first look at, with me, verse 15, the path of bitterness. In other words, when these things happen, let's just say that I decide I'm going to become bitter, that I fail of the grace of God, as this verse says. I deny, 
I, I don't diligently choose, intentionally determine to claim grace, and instead I default to bitterness. And by the way, the fork in the road is not really a, an even two-lane highway that splits, one lane going either direction. It's more like this. The bitterness path is an eight-lane highway that goes off in this direction, and the grace path is just a small trail that goes off in this direction. Most people don't look diligently like the Bible says. Most people don't make an intentional choice. Most people allow the hardships of life to just automatically put them on the path of bitterness. Now what happens, look at verse 15 with me, when you become bitter, it becomes a root. When you have a root, it's going to grow deeper, it's going to grow stronger, and then it's going to come out. You see the sign behind me, there's roots, but there's also a tree growing up out of it. And when there's roots, there's going to be something coming out of the surface of these roots. And so look at what this says. the Bible says, lest any root of bitterness springing up, and what's the next word? Trouble. First thing that's going to happen when I get bitter is I'm going to be troubled. I'm going to try to make all these signs stick together if I can. I'm going to face some trouble. So the Bible says, lest any root of bitterness trouble me, it stirs me up, and it, it's on my heart and mind, and it's eating me from the inside out, and it starts to come out of my life in the form of a troubled spirit and a troubled demeanor, and my life is just kind of grumpy and grouchy and edgy, and I'm a troubled person, and somebody that just casually bumps into me or somebody that knows me at school or youth group or church might say, that's a troubled young person. Why am I troubled? Because something's happened in my life, and instead of choosing grace, I chose bitterness. And bitterness began to spring up and began to trouble me. And thereby, look at the verse 15, and thereby many be what? Many be what? You know what happens when I get bitter and when I get troubled? I find other people that are bitter and troubled. It's just how it goes. This is just what happens. And all of a sudden, we start to defile ourselves together. I find other people whose parents divorced and who got abused and who have gone through something devastating. I find other people who were left alone or who have been abused by drugs or have anger in their family. I find other people that I can connect with in my bitterness and we're troubled together and we identify on similar bitterness. And now together we become defiled. We begin to hurt each other. We begin to hurt our friends. The Bible says make no friends with an angry man. If you're hanging around people that are bitter, you're going to become defiled. It's going to impact you. If I have younger siblings, if I'm bitter, I'm going to pour my bitterness onto them. And I'm going to, they're going to become defiled and impacted by my bitterness. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15 says, there by many to be defiled. Verse 16, lest there be any what? Any what? Fornicator. Fornication is sexual sin. This is where it always goes. When I choose bitterness, I am headed towards sexual sin. Can I give you one little clue why? These things hurt so bad, you'll do whatever you can do to feel better, even for a little while. When you choose bitterness, it takes all the hurt, it magnifies it, it intensifies it, it makes it worse. It takes the wound, instead of healing it, it makes it much, much worse. And you have got to find relief. And a sexual relationship makes you feel loved and makes you feel better for a little while. It wrecks you in the long term. 
It destroys you. But it feels good for a little while. It's a little bit of a drug kind of experience. And so for a moment, you feel a little better. And this is where bitterness leads. Trouble, defilement, fornication. Let's keep reading. Lest there be any fornicator. Or what's the next word? What's the next word? Profane person. Now, profanity, we think of profanity in terms of bad language, which is definitely a part of this. You get bitter, you get angry, you get troubled, you defile other people, you get sexually active and start fornicating, you're eventually going to be using a, a lot of bad language. Some of you in this room are struggling with a profane mouth and heart and mind, and you've never traced it back yet to this. But somewhere along the way, you chose bitterness. Bitterness is springing up and it's troubling you and your life is miserable. And in that trouble, you're finding other people that are troubled and you're defiling yourselves and you're becoming sexually perverted and you're watching sexually perverted stuff. You're getting involved in sexual perversion and you're becoming profane. But you know, another use of the word profane or profanity, profane, the Bible says that Esau was profane. Why was he profane? He was making a choice that just didn't make sense. Last night we saw it in the program. He traded all the blessing of God for a bowl of soup. He traded all of his future, all the possibility, all the potential. He said, I'll lay it all down right now for a few moments of physical gratification. That is a profane way of thinking. And when you choose bitterness, your thinking gets all twisted and you'll start making decisions that people look at you and go, what are you thinking? And the answer is, your mind is just messed up because that's what bitterness does to you. Bitterness really messes up your life. And bottom line is, it all ends up becoming just plain miserable. I mean, that's where it all goes. It just ends up being miserable. Misery. Now, I want to back up a little bit and talk about the path of grace. What is the path of grace? Well, look at verse 11 again. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth what? What's the, what's the first word there? It yieldeth the, the peaceable. All the, oh, my goodness, the path of grace is first and foremost peace. Now, I can't explain this all to you, but this is what God wants to do. God wants to take your chaotic trial, your chaotic hardship that seems to wreck your life, and in the middle of it, he wants to reach into your heart and give you peace. Impossible? No. Without God, it is impossible. But when you choose the grace path, you're choosing a path that God will put peace into your heart. The second word here is the peaceable what? The peaceable what? Fruit. In other words, God wants to grow something good from your life, from the trouble. Now again, I can't explain all this. This is a God thing. This is a supernatural thing. This is a miraculous thing. I can't explain to you in human reasoning how God could take your parents' divorce or someone's abuse in your life and somehow bring peaceable fruit from that. When I sit down with a young lady that's been hurt or abused, when I sit down with a young man that's been rejected or anger poured out against him, when I sit down with a teenager and their life seems to be shredded apart by the sins of others, it's hard for me to look into those hurt eyes and say, God's going to do something good with this, but can I shout it to your heart softly? God wants, he's the only one in all of the universe 
that can take the wreckage and the bad decisions of other people in your life and do something good with it. And apart from him, it's just wreckage. Apart from him, you have no hope but bitterness, trouble, defilement, fornication, profanity, misery. But with God and with his grace, and if you look diligently to choose grace, you can expect that the worst things you've ever experienced will yield peaceable fruit. The peaceable fruit of what? Peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness. That's good stuff. What I'm telling you is, if your parents were abusive, you don't have to be. God can bring out righteousness out of your life. I'm telling you, if your parents wrecked their marriage, you don't have to. I'm telling you, the most difficult thing you've ever faced in your life can produce good, righteous stuff in your life if you give God the opportunity to put his grace at work in your life. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Wherefore, verse 12, lift up the hands. Look down to verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be what? Heal. God says, listen, I know that hurt, but I can heal you. Some of you go, hey, well, some of this stuff has wounded me. And Brother Schmidt, my life will never be the same. I can never go back to who I was. I can never recover. Listen, you will never undo the past, but God can heal you. God can put you on solid ground and can strengthen you and renew you and give you a great future going forward. But only God can do that. These types of trials will wreck you for the rest of your life apart from God's grace. The paths. You know what this all sums up to, to me? It all sums up to blessing. The, the grace path all sums up to blessing. God's going to take all of the hardships and turn them into blessing. The bitterness, all the hardships become misery. And we're at a fork in the road. Which brings us to the final point of this message, and quite simply, that is the personal choice. You have a simple choice. You have a very simple choice. Do I become bitter, or do I let God make me better? You can't undo the past. You can stay angry. You can stay bitter, but you're only going to go to wreckage. You're only headed for misery. Or you can look diligently, verse 15, looking diligently. You can make a choice to lift up your hands, to make straight paths for your feet. I'm choosing my direction. I'm choosing forgiveness. I'm choosing grace. I'm claiming God's promises. I'm claiming Hebrews 12. I'm going to make a choice. Now, let's just take these signs and find out what choice these teenagers made. And we're going to end up moving them around here in a minute. My parents got divorced. What did this young person choose? I forgave and grew strong. Which path did he choose? Grace. So stand right over here. My dad left. The back of the sign says, I got angry and I wrecked my life. He chose bitterness. This happens over 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. This young man had a car accident. He got bitter at God and he never recovered. Which path did he choose? Bitterness. This young man said, someone, what did it say? Someone abused me. God lets me minister to others who got abused. Where did he go? Grace. This is a young man that said, I'm not going to let my abuse wreck my life. I'm not going to let my abuse 
define who I am. I'm not going to go through life going, I'm an abused kid. I'm going to go through my life saying, I'm a child of God, and I have his grace, and I have all of his hope, and all of his promise, and I'm going to let God take a horrible, horrible experience and produce something good in my life from it. And that is a fantastic choice. Someone I love died. How did this young man respond? I trusted God for his strength, and I got through it. And you know what? God can get you through that. Anger in my family. I passed on my anger to my children. So this kid was angry, and his family was angry, and then he grew up and became an angry adult. And he had angry kids, and he just kept it going after generation after generation. This young man had a devastating breakup, and he got depressed and fell into fornication. Go over there. You are, oh, wait, no, no, wait. I messed it up, didn't I? You guys are laughing at me. You stay here. You're good. Yeah, that's bitterness for sure, huh? Turn yours over, Keenan. My step-parent problems, God made us close. Go over there. You chose grace. There's a kid with a step-parent. He actually loves his step-parent. Instead of wishing mom and dad never got divorced and wishing it could all be different, this kid said, God, I can't control any of that. I'm just going to claim your grace. And God said, then now that you've claimed my grace, I'm going to make you close to that step-parent and give you a good relationship. Alcohol and drugs, God broke the chains for my kids. So this is a young man that said, my grandpa or my grandmother, my my mom, dad might be alcoholics or drug addicts, but I'm not going to be by God's grace. I'm going to break those chains, and I'm going to have a different future. This kid had struggles at school. Turn the sign over. And he ran from his problems and never grew. Where does he need to go? Bitterness, get over there. Come over here, no friends. Jesus is my best friend. Did he choose grace or bitterness? Grace. Who did I have left over here? Disabling illness. Turn that sign over. A lifetime of self-pity. Did he choose grace or bitterness? Bitterness. Bitterness. Now listen. Look at the signs. The choice is yours. Choice is yours. I know teenagers that have taken this path and they never recovered. Their life story for 40 years became wreckage and misery and bitterness and fornication and all of it. I know lots of teenagers, you guys step back here a little bit, lots of teenagers who took this path. And I can tell you lots of stories that started horribly, but because of grace, because of a teenager who said, God, I know what happened to me. And I know it's horrible, and God, I'm not, but I'm not going to get angry. I choose your grace. And God, I claim your grace. Can I tell you what grace is, and we're done? Grace is God's healing ointment for every hurt, every pain you've ever experienced. When I went to the doctor about 18 months ago, and they did some scans and tests, and they, they came back to me, and I thought I had a little congestion or a little infection or something. And the doctor said, you, don't, you have a lot more than an allergy or an infection. You have cancer. It was all across my chest up in here. And I could show you the scan. It was all black. It was not good. And the doctor said, hey, you've got cancer, but we can beat this. At the point, it was almost like he was coming to me saying, guess what? You've got bitterness growing inside of you. You've got something that's a killer disease growing inside of you, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to mutate, and it's going to keep growing and keep multiplying and keep multiplying, and if you don't do anything, it's going to kill you in the next two or three years. I was well on my way to being a dead man and never even knew it. But the doctor looked at me and said, you know what, we can beat this. We can put you on therapy. We can take you into a room. We can hook up an IV to your arm. We can put some treatment into you that begins to attack those cells that are growing inside of your body, 
and we can, we really believe we can eradicate this cancer. We can kill all of it. And guys, Hebrews chapter 12, God comes to you and says, you know what? Life is filled with hard things. Life is filled with difficult things. And if you let it grow inside of you, when those hard things happen, if you let it grow unchecked, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to grow inside of you like a cancer, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. For the rest of your life, you're going to be a dying man. It's going to eat you and destroy you. But God comes to you in verse 15 and says, but I have a therapy. I have a treatment plan. And it's called grace. And if you'll come, now listen, guys. If I didn't get in my car and drive to the chemo center and walk into that room and sit down and put my arm out, if I didn't look diligently to my calendar and put, I'm telling you, nothing, nothing, nothing came up against chemotherapy. Why? Because my life depends on it. There's no chance I'm going to call the doctor and say, hey, doc, I can't make it today because I want to go ice skating. Doctor's going to say, Carrie, you don't get it. You go ice skating instead of therapy, you're going to die. I can help you ice skate for the rest of your life, but you've got to be diligent about your treatment. The doctor looked at me when he said I had cancer. He said, you've got cancer, which means we're going to take over your whole life for a year. Nothing, nothing is more important than what we need to do to you to get the cancer out of you. And if you have to give up a year of your life to go on to therapy to beat cancer so that you can have 20 or 30 or 40 more years of life, that's a good trade. And you better look diligently to that therapy. And God comes to you in verse 15 and says, look diligently. I've got a treatment plan. It's grace. But it's your choice. You've got to come to God's treatment center, his word, his church, his body of believers. You've got to get around people that will infuse grace. You've got to get around the word of God that will infuse grace. You've got to lay your heart out and say, God, put your treatment into me. I don't want bitterness to wreck my life. So God, here I am. Give me your grace. And he will. But it's your choice. The pain... We saw it on the signs. The paths, bitterness, or grace. The personal choice is yours. I can't make it for you. God is there with all the treatment, ready to pour grace on your wound, ready to heal you, grow you, stabilize you, strengthen you. He's the only one who can bring anything good out of your trial. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.